Welcome again to another episode of Ryan and Norris People. And today's episode is going to be devoted to the, the wonderful world of chess. Kendrick Perkins is joining me today. And we're going to be talking about the upcoming New Orleans Chess Fest. We have a fest for everything, Kendrick. Everything. We have a fest for class, beer, chicken, you name it. This is the first time I ever heard of the Chess Fest. Uh, once again, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I know we were going to do the podcast in person at District Donuts. Um, you did, uh, tell tell the tell my our listeners about yourself first and foremost. Um, well, my name is Kendrick Perkins. Um, I work at the Historic New Orleans Collection. Can you give me maybe about twenty seconds? I need to. I want. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. I don't want my air conditioner to come on and make all kind of noise. So I'm going to turn it up right quick. Sorry about that. But, um, sorry about that, y'all. Yeah, my name is my name is Kendrick Perkins. Um, I work at the Historic New Orleans Collection. I'm a historian in the city. Um, but I also own um, two businesses. One of them is a tour guide, you know, which um, also uses my historical background, but also love the game of chess. I've been in youth development for a very long time now. Um, and I've been teaching chess for a very long time. Um, I've been in various schools around the city. My first chess uh, coaching opportunity, teaching opportunity was actually in Gretna on the West Bank. You know, it was a great opportunity to teach at a school called Woodmere. And that was a fantastic experience. I taught K through fifth grade, and it was like 300 kids. And that's how I, I really earned my stripes, how I really got good at building a curriculum, um, just building my own style. Um, so I had a year of experience doing that. Then I wound up working with various youth development organizations. Um, there was Partnership for Youth Development at one time. There was uh, Community Works. Um, and then it was another organization that actually brought me to one of my favorite schools, and that's Lycée Francais. But I also um, was a coach at Osborne and Wilson. I want to mention those three schools because, uh, well, really four schools, Woodmere, Osborne, um, Lycée, and, and, and Wilson. Um, I, I had built a lot of relationships with a lot of these youth, and a lot of these youth are now, you know, I think um, – they're about to go to college. You know, I started a long time ago. Now, most of them, a lot of them are seniors now. And, um, you know, I have youth, hundreds of youth that I've, that's, that range from kindergarten to, like I said, that's going into college right now. So my knowledge, my primitive knowledge of chess here in this city is mainly because of Paul Morphy, Paul Morphy, because Paul Morphy has a street named after him. And why is he such an important figure of the chess scene in the city of New Orleans? I mean, like you said, you know, I mean, he's a local New Orleanian. He was born in the French quarters. He lived um, most of his life and he died in the house where Brennan's restaurant is on Royal. Um, and he's the first United States chess champion. 
people say that he's the first world champion, but he actually can't be considered the first world champion because that was an unofficial thing. You know, he did go to Europe after he became the United States chess champion. He went to Europe. So he was born in 1837. And um, when he was 20, 21, in um, 1857, um, he went to New York where he participated in the United States chess championship. And then from 1858 to 59, he went to Europe to take on, he wanted to play against the best, which was um, a guy from England. But, you know, some people say he made excuses not to play Paul Morphy. Some people say he had valid reasons. He was really busy working on like a Shakespeare book or something like that. But Paul Morphy wound up playing the other strongest players you know, in other parts of Europe. And, and you know, to me, he kind of reminds me of um, of Mike Tyson. and Because, you know, I, I play, I, I love chess, but I'm also an athlete. And I'm both of those things. And um, I have an appreciation for competition and, um, you know, history and sports and history and anything. And when you look at Mike Tyson, you know, there was that time period, he was extremely dominant. And, and people call Mike Tyson a brawler. But really, he, he, he had a skill set. Mike Tyson, you know, was a very skilled um, boxer. You know, he eventually wound up playing, uh, fighting people who were more skilled than him, but you can't take away his skill set. And during that brief time, it can be argued that, um, you know, there was, you know, he went to jail and that stopped him, that stopped his career. But there was a time period where he was just blazing through and he was dominant. It was a short period of time. And that's kind of how Paul Murphy was. Paul Murphy had um, two to three years where he just was extremely dominant. He was in a zone. I, I can see. I can see that. Um, I can definitely see that from how you're describing Paul Murphy and see that with Mike Tyson because I was a little kid. I remember when uh, he went to uh, when he had gone to uh, jail when Mike Tyson went to jail and. You know, and that was like at the at the peak of his prime. Like we're talking about yeah. his prime. Right. We're talking about like eight. And I remember all of that. I was like maybe five, maybe six or seven years old when all of that was going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he came out. Uh, I'm from Memphis. I remember when he boxed Lennox Lewis. Mm-hmm. That was like the first major, first major like sporting event that happened for Memphis in a, in a worldwide sense. Like in New Orleans, you know, because we, ha- we have the Dome, you, you're used to it. You know, I don't ever recall anyone saying, you know, ever recall a time where New Orleans wasn't prominent on the world scene in sports. But Memphis getting Tyson and Lewis. We, had, we got Tyson and Lewis. Um, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, and seeing him, you know, when seeing him, yes, he still had the skill set, but you could sense that Lennox Lewis, Xander Holyfield, um, Roy Jones Jr., they took a little bit of what he had away from him due to him being in jail during his prime. Right. Right. And he also lost a, an important mentor. There was a guy who trained him. He was a really good trained. He was a, a very, he, he was a father figure to him. And when he passed away, 
that's also a huge reason people argue. And he says it that his career starts to go down after that. Yeah. I think the most that's I think that's why I think that's why mentorship is very important. Like when you lose a mentor, you know, you're never like the same person. You know, it's always good to have those mentors. And then when you it's it's very important to have more than just one mentor. I mean, it's very important to have more than just one mentor. Um, because when you have just one and that person leaves you, man, it, it's a blow. It's a tough blow. It's a tough blow. But what made Paul Morphy stand out? Like, you know, what made him stand out in terms of his play uh, in, in the chess scene uh, during, during those times? Um, there's so many different arguments as to what made him, you know, different than others. You know, um, you know, they say that he was ahead of his time, but, you know, he came, like I said, he was born in 1837. He started playing in 1857. But there were like, there was a, a chess player, you know, well before him named um, Labordinet, you know, but he was well before ahead of his time. And then there were other players that just couldn't think, just couldn't reach his level. So he kind of was the only guy. And then when he passed away, Paul Morphy came around and really, you know, I won't say, I'm assuming Paul Morphy probably studied what this guy was doing in the past and he understood it and he was able to implement, you know, um, you know, it's just about developing pieces, um, you know, some of the strategy in, in, in people's chess game is to dominate the chess board with the pawns, you know, a good pawn structure in the center, put the pawns in the center. Um, some say that Paul Morphy believed in getting his pieces out to, to um, fight for the center more so than the pawns, you know, and the pieces are the, the bishops and the knight. Um, but in time, you know, nowadays modern players know how to switch all of that stuff up. You know, sometimes it's good to start off and fight, you know, um, fight for control of the center with your pawns sometimes. You know, you can switch up the strategy and 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 start off with using um, your pieces. So, yeah, Paul Morphy was all about um, quick development of his pieces, and sometimes it's been argued that he would be quick to sacrifice his piece if he saw he was able to think well, well, well ahead. You know, um, much further ahead than a lot of his opponents during that time period. I think the one thing, so we, you know, I talk about this on the baseball broadcast, you know, we, you know, me and my play-by-play -play partner, we talked about like the game inside the game. It's always, there's a game and then there's a game inside the game, which is sometimes we normally talk about the mental, about the mental aspect of the game. And I think from what you're telling me, Paul Morphy was always three, four steps ahead of his opponent, which is something that is what we consider the game inside the game. If you beat the person mentally, you got that guy beat, you know, not just on the board, but also in the mind as well. No, you're 100% correct on that. He definitely was able to think, I mean, that's how the best players are. You know, the number one player um, today, Magnus Carlsen, is, you know, he, he's the best because he's able to think further ahead than anyone else in the world.
you know, and I think, you know, I think about one example, and then we'll move on to talking about modern, the modern uh, testing in New Orleans. Uh, one of the things I always think about is like baseball players. I'm a big baseball nut, and I always studied how Ted Williams was with his when he played and how he would hit. He was like, okay, how does this guy hit? How does he pitch me? Is he going to throw me something inside? Is he going his first pitch going to be on the inside? Is his first pitch going to be on the outside? How is he going to do it? And and I think the thing was. Um, what made him such a great hitter was how he thought, like how he, his thinking, his thinking mindset. Same way with Tony Gwynn, same way with uh, Tony Gwynn, who I grew up idolizing. Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio, Albert Pujols. Those guys that thought two or three steps ahead, uh, two or three steps ahead. And I think also on, on flip side with pitchers, you know, Bob Gibson, uh, Clayton Kershaw, um, let's see, who else? Uh, Clayton Kershaw, um, Justin Verlander, those guys were always three or four steps ahead. And I think that's what really is the hallmark of a great athlete is how well ahead they think in any type of situation. But now moving on to the modern day, to, moder- to the modern uh, era of New Orleans, what are some of the good, some of the best local players, uh, some of the best local players uh, in the chess scene here in New Orleans now? Well, I'll say this. I'll be honest with you. You know, regarding the chess community, um, I've lately, especially the last few years, I'm more so just mainly a coach. You know, I um, the, the number one chess body right now, you know, that controls ELO ratings, right? The ELO rating is what determines what a master will be. That's the United States Chess Federation. I think they call themselves the United U.S. Um, U.S. Chess. That's what they call themselves now, U.S. Chess. And um, I, I, I teach a lot, and I play. I don't really play competitively a lot anymore. However, I will. So I don't want to sell a lot of people short, you know. But the people that I know, the people that have helped me develop as a chess player, the people. You know, um, I'll say this, uh, Nick Mata, who's a chess master. We don't have too many chess masters, by the way, um, in in Louisiana. I think it's less than 10. But mm-hmm. Nick, Nick Mata's ranked number one. You know, me and Nick, we actually used to host a lot of youth tournaments um, before COVID. They were extremely successful. He and I, we, we need to actually talk about that and celebrate that. We don't talk about that much, but we had huge great um, tournaments. Um, there's uh, Renee Phillips. Renee Phillips is the only black um, chess master in Louisiana. He's someone else who has been influential um, in, in being, you know, in helping me in chess. Um, there's uh, Miles Tisserin. Miles is from New Orleans, but Miles- I, I, know, think, I know his dad. Yeah, Michael yeah, and, and Mike Tisserin. And really, I, you know- Michael. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I want to say, um, Coach Mike. You know, Coach Mike actually, his father helped me big time, and he's a strong chess player too. You know, I just don't know if he's in the top. Uh, I don't know if he's in the top. I don't want to mess. You know, I know he's extremely strong. I don't know if he's in the top twenty, but there's a lot of chess players. But he's extremely strong. Let me say that. And his son, 
is going to be a master if he's not a master. And even if he's not a master, his son is a two-time Louisiana state champion. You know, he's won the state championship twice. And, um, and Miles has helped me out in my chess program. He's been um, a chess instructor. Renee, uh, master Renee Phillips has helped me out in my chess program. Nick Mata, master Nick Mata, he's helped me out in my chess program. Um, there's Dex Webster. Dex Webster, he is, uh, I believe he's a two-time or one-time Louisiana state champion. He's a master. He's the youngest master in Louisiana history. But, you know, he's not living in New Orleans right now. He's at, I believe he's at Stanford. I believe um, Miles is in college in Minnesota, you know, but all of these guys are from New Orleans, you know, um, and then there's Eli Carp. You know, I don't think he plays as much, but he's another master. I'm talking, I'm mentioning a lot of New Orleans folks, but there's actually a few strong players in um, Baton Rouge and other places in Louisiana. But I'm mentioning, you know, like I said, I'm mentioning New Orleans folks. Uh, I got to mention um, Dr. Jeffrey Darensburg. You know, he's a high ELO rated person and I can't sell my my pupil. He used to be my pupil, you know, I, I, I didn't introduce him to the game, but I definitely taught him the fundamentals. I got him to a strong place. And that's what I do with a lot of my youth players. I have a lot of strong youth players. Um, and, and, you know, I, I teach them the foundation. I give them the resources and then they take off. You know, there's um, Elio Sharp. Elio is the Louisiana um, quick. He's a Louisiana state champion for quick chess. He's also about to represent Louisiana on the high, national high school level. Um, Rudolfo, Rudolfo is a strong chess player. I think he came in second place. You know, and then unofficially, you know, I, 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 there's people who I know. There's my a buddy of mine named Patrick Wilson, who's a very strong chess player. There's um, Oh, I don't want to sell people short. You know, there's there's a chess club that I have to throw out there, give props to. It's called Down River Chess, and a lot of the strongest players go there. I have not gone there because I'll be honest with you, I am not a registered United States Chess Federation um, member. You know, um, I, and I have my thoughts about them. I wish them much, much success, but I really want to work with organizations locally, local organizations that's trying to be a part of the New Orleans community in my eyes. And maybe they have done a lot in other people's eyes, but, you know, I'm, I'm out in the community and I don't really see, you know, um, USCF in the places that I think that I would like to see them in. And, and, and they probably would change. Maybe that will change. And maybe I have them wrong and I'm not knocking them. But um, I mentioned all the players who I can think of off the top of my head. Um, right now who are some of the strongest in the city. And I also want to say, you know, about Chess Fest. Um, the name of the Chess Fest is the Historic New Orleans Collection Chess Fest. But Chess Fest has actually been around and it was started by Mike Tisserin. And he used to host outstanding events. Mm -hmm. and yeah, he used to host that. So I don't want an event, you know, I don't want... Um, you know, this isn't the New Orleans Chess Fest that he originally started. This is the historic New Orleans Collection um, Chess Fest. So there has been a Chess Fest around. I don't want to 
I, I think he needs to get his flowers for the things that he has done for the community. Uh, when did the new, uh, when did the chess start? Like what year did it start? Um, so, you know, I would have to do, because, you know, COVID, so this is 2022, COVID 2019. So let me, I'm going to just give you an estimate. So, that's so I'm going to go to 2018. I'm going to say, I feel like there was a chess fest. In fact, yeah, chess fest, I believe was 2014, 15, and 16, and maybe 17. And then after that, you know, um, Coach Mike Tisserin, he, 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 just gave it a break mm-hmm. at that point. But- yeah, because I, I know I, I know Mike through um, my dealings with him on Twitter. With, I, he's been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, so I, he, I know he's heavy in the, the chess community. I didn't know he was that heavy in the chess community. Yeah, yeah. He actually was he, – he, helped to integrate me into the chess community because, um, you know, when I first came into the chess community in the past, I feel like it was actually hard to integrate into it, Um, especially if you're on a youth level. You know, I mean, you can integrate into the chess community just by going and play. But if you want to be a coach and, you know, have a team and things like that, you know, it can be a very insulated circle. And he definitely was one of the, he's the only coach that I've ever known besides myself that really tries to engage everyone as possible and bring them to the table. And I think that's the most important thing. Like you want to feel belonged um, at any, with anything that you do, you want to feel belonged. You want to feel belonged and you want to feel like you're part of something. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and that's one of the things that I like about, um, one of my programs is the NARD Chess at the Center. And, and it's, you know, one of the things I, I really try to promote and the things that I like about chess um, and that, you know, it brings, it's, it's, it can bring a diversity of people together. It bring women together, people of all ethnic groups together. It can be, it can be used as a real tool to bring people together. And um, I don't think that, people use it, at least in the South or at least in New Orleans, they don't they don't use that tool to the the best it could be. Um, so that's something that I, I strive to do personally. What will be some of the events there, uh, during the chess fest? What, what, what are some of the events and what are some of the things that people can look forward to for the jazz, uh, not the jazz, but chess fest? <laughs> Um, I hope it gets successful like the Jazz Fest one day. But the Chess Fest, um, this is our inaugural event. So we're kind of keeping it somewhat low-key, and hopefully it can even get to a bigger level, to the level of how um, Coach Mike used to have it back in the days. But the Chess Fest is going to be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., um, and there's going to be different events throughout the day. It's for people of all ages. If you don't know how to play chess, you can come learn a little bit. So the first part, the first hour is more about um, is build your own chessboard. So we're going to have some um, it's that's more of a, a, a arts and craft event where you're going to get quality, hard um, material and easy material that's going to allow you to, 
you know, build your own chessboard. We're going to give you markers and paint to, you know, create these beautiful whatever, because chessboards and chess pieces, there's all kinds of designs, you know, throughout history, there's all kinds of different things you can do with it. So we want the public to come up with, use their imagination during that first hour. Then after that hour passes, um, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to split people up into two groups. One group is for people that want to learn the game, like fresh beginners, right? Um, we're going to, it's going to be a game called Pawn, Pawn More. And that pretty much teaches people how to move the pieces. It's impossible to teach the game of chess in one day, you know, where people to understand the game fully in one day. However, there's going to be cool games that just show you just components, you know, just um, cool puzzles, cool games that will show people how to move the pieces. And then for those who are stronger, we're going to, they're going to be in an area where there's going to be a competition for checkmate in one, checkmate in two, and tactics. Um, and the winner of, of that competition will get a $50 gift card um, to that, that will, they'll be able to get books from out the community, um, com community bookstore, which is on Bayou Road. Then after that, we're going to move on to a different area. And this is going to be the last part. So we're going to, it's going to be three different parts. One part is going to be a 20 person competition. Um, chess competition is going to be four rounds, 20 minutes. Um, and that's going to be the 20 strongest chess players going to be able to participate in that. It's, it's free and they're going to have the opportunity to win trophies, medals, and also a $50 gift card to um, the gift shop. There's going to be two, two of those. And then for those who aren't eligible to pay, play in that competition, we have a human chess board. So we're hoping to have 32 people who can play human chess. Um, whereas it's a large chess board, we're gonna give t-shirts to people um, and they're gonna, they're gonna be the pieces on the chess board. And then off for those who don't, who, who don't wanna play human chess, who aren't in the chess tournament, we're gonna be showing chess documentaries. So at the historic New Orleans collection, first of all, the chess fest has was um, it was helped put together by the historic New Orleans collection chess club. And the chess club consists of the leaders consist of sixth through twelfth graders. So the entire chess club is anybody of all ages, but only the leaders. When we come together to make decisions, they are only um, the youth that are between a, um, the sixth and twelfth grade. So they help organize this event. And one of the things that they helped do as well was create two um, short three minute films on um, people that's important in the chess community. So we're gonna show those two films that they helped to put together. Then we're also gonna show um, uh, a film that shows the New Orleans chess community um, called Building um, building minds with chess and that that shows the events that took place i think i told you there was grandmaster pontius carlson he's one of three black grandmasters in the world and he came to new orleans um i believe in 2017 or 2018 and a documentary was created i helped to be involved in you know introducing him to the chess community 
And it, it was shown at the New Orleans Film Festival and other film festivals. So we're showing that. That's only 10 minutes long. And then we're going to follow it with a 90-minute long movie about uh, Paul Morphy called The Opera Game. So those are the things that's going to be happening at the Chess Fest. Kendrick, thank you so much for dropping by the podcast. Folks, the podcast will be available for all podcasts, for all you guys that love the podcast, the podcast will be available on Friday, on Friday. And uh, as always, Kendrick, once again, thank you for dropping by the podcast. I will also have a link in the show's notes on where you can learn about the, uh, the upcoming chess press. That being said, thank you for your time this time. And until hey, next time, as always. Can I say one thing? Mm-hmm. Can I say one thing before we leave? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I apologize, but um, and I know you're gonna put this in the link, but follow me on uh, at Strategic Thoughts Nola. That is my chess organization, and also you can go on hnoc.org to check out Chess Fest and um Chess the Historic New Orleans Collection Chess Club. I apologize. Thank you for um bringing me on um your podcast. I apologize for interrupting you, and you know, thank you. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. As always, Kendrick, thank you so much, folks. That comes to the conclusion of this episode of the Ryan and North People podcast. The podcast will be available on Friday. And as always, thank you for your time this time. And until next time, we'll see you down the road.